ultimately as a leader, you need to take ownership of that. It's your team. You created the culture. You you provided the vibe, right? And so if there's drama going on, you taking responsibility for your part in it is powerful. And although sometimes it upsets the dynamic, it also can be the catalyst for the biggest change when one person takes ownership. Welcome to Evolve Leadership, the arena where high achieving leaders are challenged to redefine their limits. My name is Angus Nelson. I grew up in the United States and I now live in Lisbon, Portugal. I'm an executive coach and I've spent my career advising and training leaders from startups to Fortune 500 companies. And here's what I've learned. An old, ineffective leadership framework will always keep you on a hamster wheel, consumed with work-life balance, burnout, and stress. Here on the show, each week we'll help you rethink the path to achievement. We'll help you discover new principles, new philosophies to the modern leader. Look, the world is relentlessly changing, demanding a new era of leaders. It's time to redefine your limits. So enter the arena, my friend. It's time to evolve. Welcome to the Evolve Leadership Show. My name is Tim McClagan. I'm the senior coach here at Evolve Leadership. Angus Nelson, how are you doing, my brother? I am doing good. Looking forward to our conversation today. I think it is something that uh, we all experience and very few necessarily identify what's actually going on. Yeah. And I, I am a sucker for a really good drama, like especially if there's a series that just hooks you in. But nobody likes drama in the workplace. Nobody wants their company, their team to be infused with all this game playing. And it almost is, it wears you out more than the work itself is the drama in the workplace. Am, am, I, am I right on that? I think so. Uh, but I think there's some people who get off on drama in the workplace. <laughs> if, if we're really honest, I think there are some people who on some level right. actually enjoy it. Yeah, it's radically bizarre. Okay, so <clears throat> that's what we want to talk about today is, is, is what does it look like to get rid of the drama? Because there are a lot of things that we contend with, especially in corporate, um, or you're in a company who's scaling, you're bringing all these new faces at a rapid clip. There are so many personalities, there are so many energies, there's so many things that are going on. And under the surface, there's actually some psychology behind all of it that we're going to dive into today so that when you see it or when you're actually involved in it, you'll be able to recognize it very clearly. And we're going to give you some tools and how to like squash it, how to get yourself out of it and how to break the cycle of its existence within your team. Yeah. And Angus, when I came across this tool developed by Dr. Cartman, it's called the Cartman Drama Triangle. It, 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 it takes place in families, but then definitely in any interpersonal human relations. And there are three primary roles that people play. And as I was reading through this, in all of my leadership roles, I've realized I've taken on each one of these roles and realized how unhealthy it was contributing to the drama, like enabling the, 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 this, 
unhealthy interactions to continue. And so I'm fired up to go through these roles and for our listeners to be listening out for what role you might, in an honest moment, uh, tend to play like, oh, man, I really, I really lean into that unhealthy, dysfunctional role. Uh, and we're going to be talking about how to get out of those roles and really reset the try reset the the atmosphere in your team in your business uh, so that we can have really healthy interactions moving forward and the degree of this i want to kind of like make sure that we set the bar is we've all been here we've mm -hmm. all been a part of these whether we want to admit it or not um and i would even say like every family let alone in our businesses we all have expectations upon us of the part we're supposed to play within the family dynamic. <clears throat> and if you've studied any kind of psychology or gone through any kind of therapy or, you know, <laughs> dredged out some <laughs> of your stuff, yeah. you realize like, oh my gosh, I am a part of these problems. And in the workplace, we have this same kind of element. So Tim, I want you to go through the three areas first of this triangle. And then yeah. let's break down kind of where it's at, because what I do know is if you're listening and you're hearing this at first, you may be like, nah, that's not me. Nah, that can't be true. As we uncover, you're gonna be like, damn, that's me. I've done <laughs> that. Me. I've been there. So Tim, yeah. take us to the, to the three points of our triangle here. Yeah. So these were developed by Stephen Cartman in the 60s, and they really have surfaced in the business world over the last decade in particular. Um, and it's these roles that we unconsciously play that create conflict uh, and unhealthy. The first one is the victim. And this role is characterized by feelings of powerlessness, right? Or, or, or complaining. If you hear yourself complaining about circumstances, people, and you feel kind of helpless to change the situation. Uh, individuals in this role, they're, they feel like they're kind of at the mercy of, you know, the economy or the team members or the board or whatever it is. And they feel like they don't have power to change the circumstances. The second role in this uh, lovely uh, triangle is the persecutor. This person is seen as controlling. They're often looking to blame, find blame. Something goes wrong. Who's to blame? Have a kind of a critical point of view, uh, sometimes uh, authoritative, pretty rigid, like people need to see it from my view or else. And uh, oftentimes they can end up blaming other people. And it, it, it often has a mild form of bullying. I, I guess you could say a major form in, in different circumstances, but it can come across as, as trying to hold somebody accountable, but then it stirs into rigid, inflexible who's to blame. Um, the, the third one is the rescuer. And this one is someone who often takes on a caretaking role, often intervening in the conflict between the victim and the persecutor, right? The persecutor says something, the victim feels that they're unheard or whatever, or, or, or doesn't know what to do. The rescuer comes in and often at, at the, even when they're not caring for their own needs or their own projects, they will come in and help and actually do the work for the victim to you know, be the hero of the day and sweep in. And it creates these cycles. Each one of these roles perpetuates. So the, the, the rescuer unintentionally enables the victim to stay in that place of feeling, uh, you know, feeling powerless. 
And so those are the three roles that we have. We have the victim, we have the persecutor, and we have the rescuer. When you look at uh, the dynamics within an office place and somebody uh, is got an assignment due uh, for one of your clients and like, hey, yo, where's where's this presentation? We got to go, Sally. And then Sally's like, oh, Tom was going to do that. Tom, Tom, where, where, where's that stuff? And you now Tom's all of a sudden like, well, damn, well, like, I, I, he panics and goes to this place of where he doesn't know how to respond. And he's like, I completely forgot about that thing. I've been swamped. I've got other things I've got going on. My bad. And then Sally's like, oh, but you knew that this was a deadline like a week ago. You've been struggling. You should have said something earlier. And all of a sudden, Tom's like, I just, I didn't want to bother anyone. I couldn't handle it. I, I, I'm clearly, I was wrong. I should have, I should have delegated or I should have done my job. I should have, I should have not wasted time. And it's like, they're in panic mode, right? Like they're backpedaling. Yeah. And then yeah. Deshaun steps up. Hey, Tom, what exactly do you need to finalize this for the client? Like, maybe I can help you get it done. And now Deshaun is the rescuer. Yeah. Tom's like, we need this full presentation for this client and I don't know what to do. Sean says, well, we've already got some of this data right here from the last client presentation. I've got some templates here. Let's put some of this together and we'll, we'll build the report. How's that sound? Well, I guess so, but it, it's, it's getting down to the wire. And Deshaun says, don't you worry. I got your back. And he mm. steps in and he compiles the projects and puts it all together for him. And these are the kinds of things that we see play out all the time. Hmm. So you've got the persecutor is someone who won't take responsibility, someone who won't like delegate uh, appropriately, and they definitely don't have the best people skills, right? Hmm. And so when something comes to them, it's really about deflection oftentimes to where now it's somebody else. I, I got to get on them. I got to make them have, do their thing. or it's from a different perspective. If they're like the boss, sometimes they're coming out on somebody out of a, a, a spite or a, a criticalness or a demand and pressure that they're feeling, whether yeah. imposed in actuality or self-imposed intellectually. And they then take that out on somebody else. And so when we're a leader and we get under pressure, we actually can act as the persecutor. And we'll make demands of people and we'll, we'll put pressure on people and cause them to backpedal. And if you have a really strong personality, then this is going to create some conflict. And because now there's someone who feels like the victim, someone who feels like they're getting, you know, the spotlight turned on them, like, you know, uh, uh, where were you the night of the sixth? And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> they get interrogated. Like, right? <laughs> they feel that, and suddenly somebody else comes beside them or comes into the situation and says, hey, let me help you make that happen. And that mm. becomes the hero. One of the things that's really curious in this is where our personality profiles have propensities for us to step into one of these roles. But before, I'm going to use it as a little teaser. First, before we get into that, Tim, yeah, what does this look like in kind of your career? Yeah, it's been interesting because as I looked at this, I have experienced each one of these as the leader. Uh, you know, uh, the, the victim mentality is where you feel like, 
you know, the board is telling me to do this or the economy is such, or it just isn't working out. And so we feel like we've tried everything. We don't know how to fix it. And so it can, we can take on a victim mentality, even as a, you know, an entrepreneur CEO, where you're, you're trying to write the ship and you feel like there's all these external circumstances outside of your control. So we can play the victim. We can play the persecutor like you've done where we, we we're frustrated we're under pressure. And so we look at who to blame because we don't want to put the finger on ourselves. Yep. Like it's more, it's easier to blame the team member than it is to put the, you know, the responsibility on yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. Even as a leader, it's easier to point it at other people. The other one I thought was really interesting was a rescuer. And we can do this, especially if we're scaling, right? If we're moving from something in, in one of my roles as a college president, there was an area that I was really good in. And when we were first a fledgling college, we, I started doing that. Well, then we hired somebody to take that over. Well, they weren't doing their job very well. They were in a victim mm -hmm. mentality. It was a learning curve. And instead of training, instead of pushing back, I thought, well, let me take that over for you, right? And mm -hmm. we have uh, members in our community that do this all the time, especially if they go solopreneur to entrepreneur to CEO, where they are taking the lead. They're, they hired somebody to take stuff, off of, take stuff off of their plate. And yet when that person has some challenges, instead of shifting into helping them gain those skills, they just go, it's easier for me to just take it back over. And so we, uh, we become a rescuer, but it shoots us in the foot because it's really not doing what we hired them to do. And so it's funny how as a leader, we can play each one of these roles. Yeah. And <clears throat> this element of the Enneagram propensities, and if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, like Myers-Briggs, DISC profile, uh, Colby A-index, there's all these different kind of, you know, profiles and uh, that show your preferences as well as your propensities <clears throat> and in the Enneagram it talks about a lot of the emotional things uh, that drive us or the things that we're afraid of that we try to protect we try to avoid and in the triad there's one triad that's around like the gut they just they they feel things instinctively in their gut there's uh, another triad that's around the heart and then there's one around the mind the thinkers and the propensity oftentimes and to kind of clarify if you're on the Enneagram and uh, it's a two, three, four, that's the heart. They're the person who's wanting to help, wanting to do good things. They can propensity oftentimes find themselves as the rescuer. I'm an Enneagram three wing two and I'm a coach. So my propensity could be that I would come in to rescue people. And I've learned that that does not work. I can care, but I can't care more than the person I'm serving. So even in my coaching, I observed early on that I would be a rescuer and I would make excuses for why they're experiencing what they're saying. Instead, now I'm a little bit more of just tell it like it is and get in your face. And it's like, you're being an idiot. You're in your own way and you know address it very differently so i'm not being cruel or mean and i'm definitely not going to the persecutor part but i'm not no i'm no longer being the rescuer and then you follow along that enneagram you know triad to now the five six and sevens the ones that are more the thinkers and critical thinkers oftentimes can be the person who can go to the persecutor 
and this is a propensity. This is not, this is not, you know, often the, the always, you know, thing it's by no means. And then you have, um, excuse me, I'm, I'm going to reframe this. They, they typically go into the, the victim side because they don't um, process information as fast. They have uh, more concerns about the people around them. And so they can take a victim mentality a lot easier. Then we come over, and that would be the, uh, the five, six, seven. And then you wrap around to the top and you get to the eight, nine, one. They're typically the ones who can be uh, a little bit more critical and um, see things through black and white. And as such, they can be perceived as uh, the persecutors because they just want to get things done and let's go and come on. And they see things again through a very black, white, you know, type of thing. Um, and then the mix of that, you know, the nines um, are kind of don't fit the, the, the mix between the ones and the eights. They have a different propensity where they want to go to peacekeeping. And now they actually have a propensity for being the hero. Right. And then you look at the, two, three, four, and in the middle of that triad is the three, and the three will no longer just be um, uh, the rescuer of the rest of the triad. They can actually step into like, let's go, let's go. They can actually take on the villain role, that persecutor. They can drive things too hard because to them it can be about ego or narcissism and these other components. And then you wrap around the other side in the five, six, seven, and in the middle of that, the six, they're the ones who uh, can be perceived as, um, you know, having a cloud that goes over their head because they always see the problems and everything. And they're going to question everything. And having a six as a part of your team is actually a healthy thing. They're going to see things other people won't necessarily see. But if you don't understand that gift, if you don't understand it from that, then you're going to think, oh, they're just the victim. They won't just step up. They won't make things happen, blah, blah, blah. And so these are propensities that we have that if we're not healthy, we'll find ourselves giving in to the propensity. And that's where the Enneagram, I think, kind of helps us understand or see our own red flags. I'm like, mm, I'm stepping into this role right now. I'm acting as part of the triad and I'm creating the drama. I'm a part of it. Dang it. Angus, it's so interesting how each one of these perpetuates the other. So when the rescuer comes in to help the victim, it keeps the victim in powerlessness, right? They're looking for a, when the victim is looking for a rescuer, you know, mm -hmm. to come in, it, it perpetuates their victimhood. When the prosecutor, you know, comes in and blames somebody else, it, you know, the victim suddenly feels victimized. And yeah. these negative cycles within our teams, within our interactions, you know, business to business, um, if we can recognize which role we're starting to tend into, and I want to ask you as the listener, which role would you most gravitate toward in this season? Is it the victim where it feels like things are out of your control? Is it the prosecutor or persecutor? where you are kind of being very forceful and critical to team members or th things just to get the ball moving, whatever, or are you a rescuer where you're coming in and helping people where they, they can't? Cause if we can recognize it first, 
Well, then we could do something about it. Then we can shift it. Then we can change. And the victim is looking for a savior. The persecutor is looking for a scapegoat. And the rescuer is looking for a project. And each one of those are an unhealthy desire because it takes the, it is trying to shift responsibility away from us. It is trying for us not to take control of what we can control and take ownership. And each one of these uh, roles, if we can take ownership, we can move to a much, much healthier spot. Am I right? 100%. So let's go into the other side of this. Like, how do we get out of this? Like, how do we nip this in the bud? How do we snuff it out? How do we bring an end to it? Uh, Well, I will tell you this. The first step to overcoming a problem is admitting you have one. So (laughs) when you see yourself in this, like, oh, dang it, I am guilty of doing this right now. And you start to, again, you have this knowledge or you have this clarity, you have this understanding that brings self-awareness so you can see it when it pops up. And secondarily, uh, it might be in you. You might be part of this triad. You might be part of this drama triangle. And so own that and take your part in it. And I will tell you when you step out of this triangle, you step out of this triad and choose not to be that person, you can kind of upset the apple cart a little. Yeah. It's like people are used to you playing your certain role. This is the part where you lose your temper and, and, and come after everybody <laughs> and blame everybody. You're the one that's supposed to be the persecutor. Why aren't you persecuting? I'm just waiting to be the victim. Come get me. Like there's those kinds of situations and I'm being a little facetious there. Um, but they're not going to know what's the dynamic if suddenly you're acting differently. And that's okay. That's part of the process. And people start to uh, change some of the equilibrium to now be an even keel where people are having better ownership of their own stuff, Mm. their own part to play. They create healthier boundaries. They start communicating more effectively. And now everyone's acting in a healthy fashion. So one of the things that you know, you can take a look at and, and, and how to like heal from all of this is if you see yourself in one of these roles, for instance, the persecutor, here's a few things you can think about. You know, first thing is, as I said, that self-awareness element is take a moment, take a pause, look inward, and then take responsibility, take ownership of the part you're playing, your own personal actions. Like that's the first thing you have to do. And then second, like provide that people around you, the others, the opportunity and encouragement to be responsible by speaking directly to them in a constructive manner, not like going around their back and saying, well, so-and-so is being such and such, but rather, you know, address them personally, pull them aside. This isn't a chance to embarrass them or call them out in front of her, but, but rather, hey, I noticed this thing about you. I've noticed this thing about our dynamics. I've noticed this thing about how I've responded and what part that's played for you. Like these kinds of conversations create a lot of great candor, which can only bring great understanding. Yeah. And the third piece of this, if you're, you know, persecutor, I would say is learn to negotiate instead of arguing uh, so that you can find common ground, get curious, ask questions and be willing to compromise. Yeah. Just because you have a strong personality or a strong conviction about a thing 
doesn't necessarily mean that it's the thing that is the only way. Mm -hmm. And you may think you win the battle, but ultimately you will not win the war. Yeah. If you maintain this persecutor mentality. Yeah. Um, Tim, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. What was interesting, David Emerald uh, put together kind of a, a corresponding shift um, for this model, he calls it the Ted uh, model. But what and, and mm. Angus piggybacks right on what you're saying. Ted or Tad? Ted, the Ted. empowerment like dynamic. The Ted talk. I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He <laughs> and he encourages moving from the prosecutor to what he calls a, a healthy challenger, and it's it's treating people in a challenging people in respectfully and in a constructive manner, and it's really putting belief. It's believing in the victim that they have the power to change it. It's pushing them out of their comfort zones a little bit. And obviously how you do that is probably more important than actually what you say, the tenor that you do. But when somebody in your team knows that you're believing in them, knows that you say you got more in the tank, I know you can do it. That's a lot different than why didn't you get this done? How come you didn't? Two totally different reactions you're going to get from that team member. One is defensiveness or I suck or I feel powerless. The other one is, oh, he, you know, she believes in me. I can, I can do this. Okay. Let me, you know, step into that. And you're taking responsibility. So as a leader, if you find yourself in this persecutor role uh, and some stuff is hitting the fan, ultimately as a leader, you need to take ownership of that. It's your team. You created the culture. You pre you provided the vibe, right? And so if there's drama going on, you taking responsibility for your part in it is powerful. And like you were saying, Angus, although sometimes it upsets the dynamic, it also can be the catalyst for the biggest change when one person takes ownership. Uh, the second one, Angus, for the, the victim role is moving from a victim to creator. And it he challenges victims to take ownership of what they can control and look for opportunities, especially for if we're in a leadership role and find ourselves in the victim. It's the economy. It's this business dynamic. It's, you know, this legislation that was passed, whatever it is that is the reason why you feel powerless is to take full ownership of what you can control. You can't control the economy, but you can control how you iterate, how you shift, how you pivot. Um, any other thoughts on that, Angus, from moving from that victim to creator role where you're creating your own possibilities and opportunities for yourself? Let me just pause for a second to say this. There is one trait that you will find in every successful leader, no matter their industry, no matter their role. And that trait is action. And we want to inspire ambitious leaders like you to bet on yourself and take action on those audacious goals that you see in your heart. That's why we created our 90-Day Accelerator. It's a results-driven, battle-tested framework designed specifically for high-performing leaders like you to get unstuck and propel you towards your goals. And in just 90 days, you won't even recognize the person you used to be. To be a part of this elite community, go to evolveleadership.org. Now, back to the show. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it's it's one of my favorite pieces uh, in this whole puzzle is when a victim can turn themselves into the you know the creator. They can turn themselves into no longer being at the mercies of the things around them, but rather they are creating their existence, creating their world, creating their possibilities. It's a completely different energy shift. And when a victim can identify like their goals and and create steps of achieving and focusing the thing that you know they're now going to create well shoot man that's that's part of the puzzle is is to be able to get very intentional that you're no longer going to like flounder but rather you're going to move forward right um second piece i would say is looking for opportunities to improve uh that level of independence um i think that's where a lot of people fall into victimhood. And if you see someone on your team that's doing that, it's, there's, there's likely a bigger, uglier story why this is their propensity. And it may have uh, occurred and started long before they ever got into your workplace. Um, and that's a whole nother HR slash, you know, team building slash culture uh, creation type of conversation. If you start to observe like, Oh my gosh, this person's been like this for a long time. Can we turn this around? Can we challenge them, you know, to come to a different place? And then I think the third thing I would say is that when, you know, something comes against you, a roadblock, a friction point, or maybe another opportunity to fall victim, it's in that moment, identify ways to stop and do it differently. Like get yourself to that point where not only do you recognize the red flag, like, oops, mayday, mayday, <laughs> help me, help me. Danger, Will Robinson. It's in that moment that instead of panic, instead of, again, flounder, that's the moment that you rise up and you're like, you know what? Mm -mm, not doing this again. Yeah. And I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to make something. Happen. It's so empowering. Right? It is so freaking empowering. We one of our new members had just joined in and and he was frustrated that one of his projects um, was underfunded. It was promised one thing and you know 100 grand less and he just in a conversation he was like, "Well, what if I like raise the other half? I know some, you know, I know some people. What if I, you know, was able to complete that funding?" And one call yesterday opened up, he got half of the funding. Like he's already got half of the funding just by taking ownership of what he can control, thinking about it differently. And I was so proud of him for stepping out because it's instead of staying in a powerless state, instead of saying, well, this is just all the funding I could get. It's being creative, thinking outside the box. And then all of a sudden, new opportunities, new possibilities. And he's just crushing it, stepping into this principle of stepping into creator. So I love that shift because all of a sudden that leader gets empowered. That leader, yeah. there's nothing that can stop you, even in spite of economy, underfunding, all these other things. There's new possibilities that are created. Come on. And Angus, the last one is moving from the rescuer to the coach. And what I love about this, see, rescuers unintentionally enable the victim to stay a victim, right? Because they do yep. it for you know, I'm going to do this for you. And <laughs> I can't keep my job if you won't do yours. I need <laughs> you, know, you to stay the victim. 
And, you know, especially as a leader, you hire somebody to do something and then you're always rescuing them. Well, that that is going to put you at a deficit over and over and over because more times than not, you're going to have to rescue them again. And when mm-hmm. you switch from a rescuer to a coach, you're actually empowering them and enabling them and you're not doing the work. You're giving them resources. You're giving them belief in their own abilities. You're giving them training, but you refuse to do the work for them. That's why you hired them to do the work. And it it is a, and you know, as a coach, when you can empower somebody, when you can get people to see possibilities, to see their own capabilities, well, now you got a team member who is going to be a powerful asset to your company as opposed to a big liability. Mm. The rescuer, when it goes to coach perspective, is also the opportunity where the rescuer kind of plays to their skill set in a different fashion. Meaning, hmm. now they're guiding someone to create and invent their own solution. Right? Yeah. So the rescuer, in some ways, is still using some of their coaching uh, skill set from a perspective of you know solving a problem because they love yeah. the challenge. Right? They want they want a project but doing it in a much healthier fashion. So now it's about, you know, active listening to say, Hey, what's really at the problem here? If you're listening to the victim and they go, Oh, you're obviously having a problem with this other person, i.e. the persecutor. Um, how about we get the two of you in a room? Let's have a conversation. Yeah. And helping them like bridge understanding, helping to mentor and to develop you know, some of your colleagues in that moment uh, from a very, you know, humble kind of on the side kind of way uh, can be really powerful. And now all of a sudden you're helping one another create responsibility and to own their part, to create their own boundaries, to have open doors of communication and understanding. And now we can have self-accountability. Hey, this is the part I'm going to play. This is what I can commit to. And this is the part I cannot. Hmm. And now we've got healthy engagements, healthy teams, healthy communication, and everyone's on an, an even keel rather than the weird dynamics that oftentimes come into play in larger organizations. Yeah. Angus, one thing I think is interesting that the triangle, I think more exposes is sometimes our underlying um, justifications not to change. So if we're playing a persecutor role, it could be ego. It could be, um, pressure that we're feeling. And even though we steamroll our team members, we justify it. And so shifting from the persecutor into the challenger is a different role where it really is taking you out of the equation. (laughs) Like this is not about me. This is about our company. And this is about helping this person who's struggling. Right. Or from the victim, uh, we if we stay in victim mentality and it's not our fault, it gives us justification not to change, not to be empowered, not to step up, not to find new ways and new possibilities. We can just keep the status quo. And the last one is the rescuer. Sometimes as a rescuer, we have an internal need to be needed. 
And that's that whole codependent, like, I'm going to rescue because I like how I feel about myself helping somebody. And if we were to get to the really nitty gritty of these things, the reason why we stay in these roles is because we like how it makes us feel. We don't, it keeps us justified in staying the same. And for the rescuer, my challenge would be to shift your motivation from feeling needed to empowering somebody and having the fulfillment of seeing them overcome their challenge rather than you overcoming it for them. And Angus, I think if we can get to the heart, if we can get to our core motivations and and move, it's almost like if if we want a reason to stay the way we are and not change, it's going to be really hard to make these shifts. But if we can realize that it's not serving us, well, well, now we can move. Now we can change. And now we can step into a new level of healthy dynamics. Um, and I would add to that comfort, mm. right? We get comfortable staying in that role because we know it's expected. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be the victim. Here I go. Put on my victim hat. <laughs> oh, woe is me. Oh, I did it again. Boo, 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 boo. And in family dynamics, we can see this. Mm-hmm. There's always that one sibling who is the person who's always getting in trouble that always had things go wrong and mm-hmm. then happened when they're a child and now they're a teen doing it again. And then they become an adult. You're like, how is this still happening? Why are we still having these similar conversations? Why is the same child still in this? And why is mom still defending and rescue? Like, and why is dad like, these are all the things that play out in families in as much, if not more, than in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And similarly, when you fulfill one role in your family, your family of origin in specific, and then you go into your workplace, are you echoing the same role wow. in the workplace? Or are you compensating and taking on a different role in the workplace because of the one that's expected of you and your family so i was not a deep therapeutic (laughs) kind of conversation and yet this is kind of therapy yeah because the moment that we recognize the part we play take ownership for the destructive ways that we are allowing or permitting or worse yet i'm just gonna say this tolerating of ourselves or of our team then we are going to perpetually live out these cycles of chaos over and over again. And the invitation to you is to find what part you're playing or observe who's playing these parts within your team that are creating the drama and start asserting yourself to either change who or what role you're playing and or put on that coaching hat and interject yourself into understanding, communicating and helping them see these other individuals, helping them to see the parts that they are playing. And this is what that might look like. When John, who always plays the victim, gets in that position where he's playing the victims, like, you know what, John, this has happened before. 
And I just want to share something with you because I respect you and I honor you. And I just want to point something out. And again, you're doing this in private. You're not doing this around anyone else. John, what I'm noticing is every time that person addresses you like that, it's almost like they're coming at you and they're attacking. And as such, you seem to get on the defensive. And then you get flooded with emotion. And then you shut down. I know you. I know you're smart. I know you're capable. I know that you are bigger and better than this situation you're finding yourself in. And I think there's an opportunity for you to see yourself in light of the success you've had in your past and understand like you got this and that you can do this differently. And in that moment, giving them the opportunity to choose, do I want to do it differently? Am I going to do it differently? Like that's the part you can't play. All you can do is introduce the opportunity and the observation. Let it go or let it play out. It happens again. Step into that situation. Pull them aside. John, man, remember that conversation we had the other day, the other week, the other month, and I told you about what I see in you? Man, I see you starting to do that same thing again. And yet I know you're far more capable. than this. Can we maybe grab a coffee or, or a drink sometime and, and let's talk about that a little bit? And then take a coaching role to step into this person's life. Because first you've identified it, first you've made it, and the second time around, now you're reminding them of this thing and so they can start seeing it themselves and start building trust, start building rapport and connection with this individual so that you are perceived as a friend and not a foe, that you're here to help and not rescue, right? You're still helping them to own it. However, you're helping them to see what they cannot see. It's as if you're showing them a mirror and saying, I see this thing happening over and over again. Do you see it? Do you recognize this? And what do you want to do about it? Want to change this? I believe in you. And the same goes for the other roles too. Is when you start seeing those patterns is being able to step into those patterns and be able to address that individual in a way that honors them and their strength and their abilities and understand that the role they're playing in those moments isn't personal. And this is the rub. This is the, the, the sticking point to all of this. When we step into one of these roles, even when you're the persecutor, it's not personal. You would be that way no matter who was on the other side of that table, no matter who was sitting in that chair. If you're the persecutor, you're going to persecute, persecute, persecute because that's your role and it doesn't matter who the victim is in that moment. And this is the thing about these dynamics is we just fall our, find ourselves falling into this part of the play, the, the action, the, excuse me, the acting and the role that we are in this play. And we just play that part. Yeah. And it's not personal. Yeah. The weirdest thing. But this is the way we're made up. This is our psychology. Yeah. And when we can take ownership of our role that we're taking, we can, especially in leadership roles, uh, bring our team members who are falling into a role 
bring them out of it. And you create a really healthy, drama-free dynamic. Angus's statistic was flooring that said people would take a 20% pay cut or they would turn down a 20% raise if it meant moving into an unhealthy work dynamic relationally. Mm. And so money is a big driver, right? Salary and and what and the amount of money that we can make, but to they people wouldn't trade it for a healthy work environment and talk about keeping great employees and retention, you create a drama-free zone, you create a healthy dynamic where we everyone's leveling up, taking ownership of their uh, roles and stepping into that, that is a recipe for a great company, great employees who are continuing to grow with a growth mindset. So uh, I'm, I want to just bookmark one, one little piece. Yeah, go for it. If you work in enterprise, if you work in a large, large, large corporation, there's very little you can do to control the other organizations within the company. And the only thing you can control is your organization, right? So two parts. Number one is don't fall into the drama triangle while you're engaging with other parts of the organization. So if your boss uh, happens to be the persecutor, you can choose not to be the victim. And then furthermore, don't then pass that on to your team. Like You don't have to put anyone else under the pressure. It's almost like you become the umbrella to protect your part of the organization, your team, your organization. That's your vicinity in which you can lead and create peace and be drama free. It can seem like a fantasy if you get into a company that's like 10,000 people and to think that you can really do something on the, the global scale of that company. And that can feel really debilitating, really frustrating. And I would tell you, if you can just focus on your organization, you can actually be way happier. And when you see the dichotomy of that being expressed in the other organizations where there's chaos and drama, you don't have to get involved and you can actually laugh and you're like, well, glad I'm not in that organization. And if the opportunity arises and you get to coach somebody from the other organization, then you can take it. Don't try to own or put yourself in the parts that you don't own. Only take ownership of the part that you own. Create that healthy boundary. Protect your teams, protect yourself, and become the player coach, the, the drama-free, something that begins with the D, I got nothing, director, the drama-free <laughs> director, that sounds terrible. The, the, you be the contagion, right, of peace. That's where I want to leave you today. Tim, any final words? Yeah. When we, we have so much agency, within ourselves to make change that we don't often give ourselves credit for. Um, we feel like this is the way I've been for a long time, whichever role you tend to gravitate towards that can change with a simple choice with a simple taking ownership and the ripple effects can be large and wide, not only within your workplace, but also within your family. And so th there is don't never underestimate the power of your single decision to shift out of the status quo because the best leaders 
are always evolving. As we wrap up another episode of Evolve Leadership, thank you so much for taking time to invest in you. If there's to be any sustainable growth in your company or even in your relationships, you must grow first. And it's what I love to do for leaders, to help them grow, to challenge their thinking, sharpen self-awareness, to instill an unshakable confidence, and ultimately upgrade their sense of self. And we do this through our proprietary method called Agile EQ+, where we're leveraging agile leadership and emotional intelligence. We provide our signature training for individuals and for businesses, we've designed a unique curriculum for company-wide learning and development. If you'd like to learn more about our training or to schedule a call, you can simply go to evolveleadership.org. And until next time, stay driven, keep climbing, and never stop evolving. Thank you.